verses 14 through 24 of Romans 7. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And you may be seated. The passage that we just read expresses the cry of a struggling heart. It's an expression of struggle. It's an expression of defeat. It's a cry of a person who is longing for victory, of a person who is longing for freedom. It's the expression of a person that's caught up in a hamster wheel, one of those wheels that just spin around, expending lots and lots of energy and getting nowhere. Well, I'm glad that Paul did not stop where we stopped reading here a few moments ago. I'm glad he did not end his letter at that point. In fact, there may be some of you here that were just a bit disappointed that we stopped reading where we did and did not read the next verse. But this verse, or the verses that were read, I'm using as a background, as a backdrop for the message this morning And we want to pick up from this point and move forward and look what is beyond these verses. The discourse does continue in this passage. And we stopped reading where we did simply to accentuate or emphasize the verses that follow. The verses that are to come. And I thank God for the next verses. Paul cried out in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? From the body of this death. Who shall deliver me from this endless cycle of frustration? Continue with me as I read the next three verses. Verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh. But after the spirit, for the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Recently, I received an anonymous suggestion for a sermon subject. 
And as I mentioned before, one of the interesting things about suggestions that are given for sermons is that they tend to take us places where we would not go otherwise, to subjects that we may not have addressed. The other thing about them is that sometimes when I receive them, they can cause me to breathe a big sigh. Uh, How will we approach this subject? And that was perhaps the case here again. The subject that was suggested is freedom in Christ, and questions were submitted with it. What is freedom in Christ, and what is it not? What does freedom in Christ mean, and what does it not mean? So I'm thankful for that suggestion. I enjoyed thinking about the subject. The title of the message this morning is simply Freedom in Christ Jesus. Freedom in Christ Jesus. And I'd like to look at three questions. First of all, what is freedom in Christ? Secondly, what is freedom in Christ not? And then the third question, are you living in bondage or in freedom? So the first question, first part of the sermon, what is freedom in Christ? Now, I don't know how many of you, when you pick up the bulletin in the back, spend much time looking at the front cover. Most of the content we look at is on the inside. There's a picture of an open Bible with a verse from Psalm 119. It says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. One thing about light is that it reveals to us, and sometimes it reveals some things to us that we did not expect to see. In fact, if there were no unexpected objects in our path, light would really not be all that necessary. But the reason we need light is to reveal those things which we do not expect. And to be honest with you, this sermon did not really end up where I expected it to when I started studying. And uh, took me to places where I probably did not really expect to go. What is freedom in Christ? I'd like to give seven answers to that first question. What is freedom in Christ? Number one, freedom in Christ is subjection to a higher law. Freedom in Christ is subjection to a higher law. And I'd like you to notice especially uh, this second verse in Romans chapter 8. Where it says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I want you to note that there are two laws mentioned in this verse. It's not only talking about one law, but there are two laws. There is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which has made me free from the law of sin and death. So freedom in Christ is not escaping from all law and all order. It is simply subjection to a law. In Christ is subjection to a higher law. Now, as we noticed in the verses that we read here in chapter 7, there was a little hint of freedom in the verses. When you're living under the law of sin and death, freedom is hard to find until a higher law comes that supersedes that law. Now, if you desire freedom from a particular law, from a certain law, the only legitimate response is to appeal to some higher law. 
And we see that in the uh, courts of our land, in the legal structure of our land. Sometimes there are laws set in place on a local level which somebody does not appreciate or a group of people do not appreciate. And sometimes they will appeal to a higher level to seek release from this law. They may go to the state level. They may continue on and perhaps end up in a federal level. There may be numerous steps in between there. But in order to escape from one law, they appeal to a higher level of law. That is one way you can escape from a law, to appeal to a higher law. But there's also another way in which people have done it in many situations. And that is simply remove yourself from the area where this law has jurisdiction and go to some place where there is a different set of laws. Uh, We saw that back in the 1800s in the days of slavery. There were people who did not appreciate the laws that forced them to be slaves. And so in order to escape that, many of those slaves traveled to Canada where there was another set of laws. And if they reached the border and were able to cross the border into Canada, the legal structure there would not send them back to where they had been. They simply removed themselves from one set of laws and placed themselves under another set of laws. Another example is during times of war in the past, people who wanted to escape the draft. Again, they went to Canada where another set of laws was in effect. Now, I want you to note that in these situations, when people crossed a border from one country into another, it did not remove them from subjection to law. When they passed a border into Canada, they were not suddenly free from all law. They simply moved from one set of laws to another set of laws. And that's true today. If you visit another state or another country, for example, if you travel into Canada, you no longer need to obey the American speed limits. But you are subject to the Canadian speed limits. You no longer are paying sales tax in the state from which you left, but you are paying sales tax in the area to which you went. So you're simply going from one set of laws to another set. Freedom from one law is obtained through subjection to another law. And as I mentioned in this first point, freedom in Christ is in reality subjection to another law, to a set of higher laws. Freedom from the law of sin and death is obtained, according to verse 2, through subjection to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It is the law of the spirit that hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So freedom in Christ is found through subjection to another law. As I said, it's not the obliteration of all. It's a replacement of one for another. Now, to be sure, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus far exceeds the law of sin and death. The work of Christ brings to us a much better law. And if you want to uh, have that emphasized in your mind, read through the book of of, uh, Hebrews and notice how many times it illustrates that Christ is better than what was before. I'll point out a few of them. Chapter 1, a lot of the chapter 
talks about angels. Why is it talking about angels? Well, it's bringing out the point that Christ is better than the angels. And in fact, it, it, it says that, that he is better than they. In chapter 3, it emphasizes that Christ is found or counted worthy of more glory than Moses. In chapter 7, it compares him to Melchizedek, who was considered worthy of honor. But it's comparing Christ to him, worth more, worthy of more honor. Chapter 10, it emphasizes that Christ is better than the Old Testament sacrifices. He is better than the Old Testament priests. The priest in the Old Testament never finished the work, but Christ completed the work and is set down at the right hand of the Son of God. You see, the new law is so much better than the old law. Now, if you find yourself struggling under bondage to the law of sin and death, perhaps it is because you have not subjected yourself to the new set of laws that are found in Christ Jesus, to the higher law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Another way of saying this, something that you've probably heard before, is that freedom in Christ Jesus is not the liberty to live as I please. It is the power to live as I ought. Not freedom to do whatever I want to, but it's the power to do what I ought to do. And we'll probably talk about that uh, more a bit later on. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, there are some verses. Uh, if you wish, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll be looking at a number of passages here. In verse 3, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. I think another way of, of phrasing this verse is that we are living in the physical realm of the flesh. We are flesh and blood people. We are living in the flesh. However, we who are free in Christ Jesus are not subject to the laws of the flesh. There is another set of laws. How are we free from those laws? Notice verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the kingdom of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, we are free from one set of laws by being captive to another set of laws. So freedom in Christ is really captivity. Is that what you were expecting to hear? Captivity to the law of Christ. Subjection to a higher law. What is freedom in Christ Jesus? It is subjection to a higher law. Number two, second answer. What is freedom in Christ Jesus? It is subjection to a higher law. Number two, freedom in Christ is submission to authority. Freedom in Christ is submission to authority. In Matthew chapter 8, we have the account of a Roman centurion. This man came to Jesus with a request. He said, Lord, my servant is at home. He's sick. He's grievously tormented. And in the account in Luke, it says he's nigh to the point of death. He's, he's almost dead. He's dying. I need help for this man. 
And Jesus responded to this centurion. He says, well, okay, I'll, I'll come and heal him. The centurion gave an interesting response. He said, Lord, I'm, I'm really not worthy for you to enter my house. In fact, I don't consider it necessary for you to enter my house because I recognize that you have authority. And then he made an interesting comment about authority. He says, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go. And he goes. I say to this man, come. And he comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. Now, this Roman centurion, was he a free man or was he not? He would certainly have been considered to be a free man. He was a Roman officer. He was not a Jew or some other subject to the Roman kingdom. He had servants. His servants probably looked at him as a free man while they were living in bondage. He was considered to be a free man. However, his freedom was found in the fact that he was in submission to the authority under him. He says, for I am a man under authority. And the fact that he was under his authority is what gave him the authority to those under him. His freedom was found in the fact that he was submissive to his authority. And his submission to his authority is exactly what gave him the freedom to relate to other people as he did. And our submission to Christ, our submission to authority, is what gives us freedom then to relate to other people as we ought to relate. So freedom in Christ is submission to authority. The Roman centurion is one example, and I'd like to mention another example, and that is the example of Saul. Now, you're familiar with the story of Saul, the account, how that he was very zealous in doing what seemed to him the right thing to do. And he was on the road to Damascus, smitten down by this intense light from heaven. This voice came out of, of, of heaven. And one of the statements that was made to Saul is, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks or the goads, as some translations say. Now, what this is referring to is when people were farming with oxen, and as they'd walk behind the plow, they'd carry a stick with a pointed end. And if those oxen would get lazy or slow down, they'd start poking them, urging them to move forward, keep on going. Sometimes they would use it to give them direction if they needed to turn a certain way. And the oxen had a choice. They could either respond to that goading and move forward, and the goading would stop. Or they could resist it and start kicking against it, which simply brought them more pain as they kicked against those pricks or goads. At this point, Saul thought he was a free man. He also was a Roman citizen. He could live as he pleased. But it was only when he submitted to the call of God and to God's will for his life that he experienced what freedom really went. Perhaps some of us here, perhaps some of you, think 
that you have, exper- have been experiencing freedom. You think you're living in freedom, but in reality, you're kicking against the pricks. And you're bringing pain into your life. When God seeks to give you direction and you ignore that direction, your response just brings you increasing pain rather than the freedom you wish for. Several verses from Proverbs, verse, chapter 13, verse 15 says, The way of transgressors is hard. The person who wants to live as he pleases, it's a difficult life. It's not freedom. Proverbs 15, verse 10, Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh away. He that hateth reproof shall die. Does that sound like freedom? Going your own way? You see, freedom is found in submission. Freedom in Christ is submission to authority. I think Paul understood what it meant to live in bondage. And I think he understood what it meant to live in freedom. Because as you read his letters, as you read his epistles, you read his writings, he writes a lot about freedom and bondage. And I think he understood well what it meant. And I think he understood that real freedom is found in submission. So what is freedom in Christ? Freedom in Christ is submission, is subjection to higher authority. Freedom in Christ is submission to authority. Number three, freedom in Christ is accepting a higher code of conduct. I'd like you to uh, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 is another chapter where Paul talks a lot about liberty or freedom. He talks about bondage. He compares the two. And we're going to be looking at part of this passage later on, but I'd like to look at part of it at this point as well. Freedom in Christ is accepting a higher code of conduct. Galatians 5 chapter 1 says, Stand fast therefore in the liberty, in the freedom. Enjoy the freedom. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He's comparing these two. The two stand in sharp contrast to each other. And now we're going to jump down to verse 16. And Paul again emphasizes the contrast between two different codes of conduct. And he emphasizes that living in freedom is accepting a higher code of conduct. It's not being released from all codes of conduct. It's accepting a higher load of uh, a higher code of conduct. Chapter six, or yeah, chapter five, verse sixteen. This I say then: Walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's a contrast between the two. Verse seventeen: For the spirit, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit. You're not under the law. We're going to be living by one code or the other. And according to this verse, if you're living according to the law of the flesh, you cannot live according to the law of the spirit. You're living in bondage. You cannot attain unto that law. But on the other hand, if you're living according to the higher law of the spirit, 
to his code of conduct, you cannot or you may not do the works of the flesh. You see, this is freedom. You are free from those works. You're no longer bound by those. The higher law exempts you from the power of the lower law. Again, I repeat that liberty in Christ Jesus is not the freedom to live as I please, but it's the power to live as I ought. It's not the liberty to live according to the flesh, but the power to live according to the Spirit. Now, I'd like to read the, 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 the remaining portion of this chapter from verse 19 to the end. 19, 20, and 21 describes the one code of conduct. And then beginning in verse 22, we see a description of another code of conduct. And I want you to recognize how that living in the freedom of Christ Jesus is accepting this higher code of conduct. In verses 19 to 21, there are some pretty terrible things listed in the one code of conduct. And if we're honest, we would probably say, well, there's some things listed there that are not so terrible as well. Uh, idolatry and witchcraft and adultery and fornication, yeah, those are terrible things. But variance, what's so bad about that? Strife, eh, we've all had some strife from time to time. But notice that they're all listed together. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh, the code of conduct of bondage, are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. There's no freedom there. This is bondage. But, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Verses 24 and 25 leave us with a choice. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. So which code will you follow? Will you be bound by the works of the flesh? Or will you be freed to live according to the code of the Spirit? Freedom in Christ is accepting a higher code of conduct. It's, it is accepting a higher level of expectation for our lives. Well, let's move on to point four, number four. What is the fourth thing that freedom in Christ is? Number four, freedom in Christ is a life of willing service. 
It's a life of willing service. In the Old Testament, there is an interesting scenario described. It's described in Exodus and also in Deuteronomy, chapter 15. And this scenario describes a man who lived in bondage. He was a servant. He was purchased as a servant. He was a slave. But he served his designated period of time. The seventh year came, and according to the law, he was to be set free. This man who lived in bondage, who was now set free, was given an interesting option. Perhaps this man could say, during the past years, my master has done a lot for me. He has provided me with so much. And in the book of Exodus, it gives the possibility that his master may have provided him with a wife and a family. And he says, I really do not want to leave my master, but I want to spend the rest of my life serving my master. And he had that option. But there was a price that he needed to pay. And the, the situation that was described there is that if he came to his master and said, I want to serve you for the rest of my life, the master would take him to the post of a door, put his ear up against the door, and take an awl and put a hole through his ear as a visible sign that he now belongs to his master for the rest of his life. It was a symbol of his allegiance, allegiance and commitment to lifelong service. You see, he was a free man. But as a free man, he committed himself to life of, life of service. Now that may sound like a paradox. A free man committing himself to life of service. I remember seeing a poster in my youth with a quote on it. And I think the picture may have been of a hand releasing a bird into the air. But the quote on the poster is what I remember. It said, if you love something, set it free. If it comes back to you, it's yours. If it doesn't, it never was. And you see, Christ paid the price for our freedom. But he does not bind us. To him. He is releasing us. And he is giving us the choice. To fly away. If we will. To go our way. Or we can come back to him. With the commitment of Lord. I will serve you forever. And really that is what freedom in Christ is all about. It is service. Freedom in Christ is a life of willing service. We will come back to serve him forever. I think a lot of us are familiar with that little song that has been written based on that situation that was described in the Old Testament of the servant who committed himself to serve his Lord forever. And I'm going to give you the words of that song. Pierce my ear, O Lord, my God, Take me to your door this day. I will serve no other God. O oh Lord, I'm here to stay. For love ever bound by love. 
You have paid the price for me. With your blood, you ransomed me. I will serve you eternally. A free man I'll never be. Pierce my ear and pierce my heart. Claim me for your house above. Yours and never to depart. Forever bound by love. Freedom in Christ is shown by a life of willing service. Number five, what is freedom in Christ? Freedom in Christ is commitment to Christ. Now, I'd like to uh, consider the example of marriage or love. I ask the question, is love freedom or is it bondage? I remember being told that love is a very captivating emotion. And I think that's true. I know some young men here that so happen to be very captivated. If you talk to them, it's not hard to figure out that they're captivated. Uh, Their plans for their wedding seem to take precedence over lots of other events. Not only are they captivated, but they're pretty excited to be captivated. So I ask, is that freedom or is it bondage? Have they lost their freedom? What about marriage? Is marriage freedom or is it bondage? Which is it? Both? Marriage? Is bondage? Well, I would say that marriage is freedom. I remember looking forward to it. You're free to live together. You're free from curfews. You're free to spend as much time together as you please. You're free to raise a family. What more could you wish for? I remember my thoughts soon after married on our honeymoon. There's nothing missing. What more could we wish for? There was freedom. But that's not the whole picture. I'd like you to think of the words of the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 27, he says, Art thou bound to a wife? And then in verse 39, verse 39, speaking to the woman, he says, The wife is bound By the law, as long as her husband liveth. So according to Paul, marriage is bondage. So I agree. It is both. It is freedom and it is bondage. It is both. It is both freeing and it is binding. But the very fact that it is binding brings freedom. There is freedom to be found in that connection In those vows, in a healthy marriage, the partners are very happy to be bound to each other. And their commitment to each other brings security and it brings freedom. There's freedom in the knowledge that there is commitment to each other. So this bondage, as it were, brings freedom. And in the same way, freedom in Christ 
is shown by our commitment to him. Being bound by commitment. Sometimes I hear people complaining about the commitments of marriage. I hear people complaining about the restrictions of marriage. Sometimes this might be said somewhat in a lighthearted way. Sometimes by some people, it's not at all lighthearted. Talking about the restrictions, well, you know, yeah, I'm married. I, I just can't run around anymore. I can't party like I used to. I can't do what I want to do. I just have to stay at home and take care of my wife or take care of my husband. Life just isn't what it used to be. Now, if you hear someone saying that, those are pretty obvious signs that something is seriously lacking in that marriage. Those people may need some counseling, some help. What about people who complain about the restrictions of commitment to Christ? Well, you know, because of my commitment to Christ, I'm just not able to do some of the things that I would like to do. I'm just not able to do that anymore. If we are complaining about the restrictions that come with our commitment to Christ, I think that is an indication that there's something lacking in our relationship. Just like complaining about the restrictions of marriage is an indication. We may need to work on our relationship with Christ. So if someone asks you, when referring to your response to a certain situation, if they ask you, but where's your freedom in Christ Jesus? That may be an indication of their own level of commitment or lack of commitment to their relationship with Christ. Because freedom is commitment. Commitment brings freedom. What is freedom in Christ? Number six, freedom in Christ is receiving his love to us. Receiving his love to us. Now, I'd like to think of the picture that is portrayed in Psalm 23, the picture of the shepherd and his sheep. And I'd like to ask you the question, are the sheep pictured, illustrated in Psalm 23, are they free or are they not There are several phrases. He maketh me to lie down. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Well, maybe I want to go in this path, but he leads me in this path. So we could say those sheep are not free. But on the other hand, if a sheep chooses his own path, he wanders off. He gets stranded on a cliff where there's no place to go, no escape. He gets caught up in the briars and the brambles, or even worse, gets caught by some beast, bear or lion. At that point, the sheep finds out what bondage is really all about. You see, if he remains in the shepherd's care, even though there's commitment there, he experiences the freedom of his care and he experiences the loving care of the shepherd. You see, God is not standing over us Christ is not standing over us with a big club just waiting for us to step off the path so he can bring that club down in his fury. That's not the picture of Christ. 
But he is standing by us with the shepherd's staff to nudge us, to give us direction on the path that we should take, to guide us into his will. You see, freedom in Christ is responding to his loving nudges to keep us on the path of freedom, to keep us from being captured by the beast, by the enemy, so that we can experience that goodness and mercy and dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. So there is freedom and joy in submitting to his love. Freedom in Christ is receiving his love toward us. And number seven, freedom in Christ is expressing our love to him. Expressing our love to him. You see, freedom is desiring to please. Uh, Going back to the example of marriage again. Someone that's married or thinking about people who are married, they could think about all that's involved. Making all those meals, doing all that laundry, mending all those clothes, cleaning house, washing dishes, packing lunches. might say, is that freedom? Sounds like a life of bondage to me. Sounds like a life of a slave. Work, work, work. Making meals, doing laundry. To some, it is a life of bondage. But to others, it is simply an expression of love. I want to serve the person I love. I delight in serving him. I delight in doing these things. Or looking at it from the other perspective. Going to work every day, earning an income, coming home, keeping the house in repair, keeping the car running, paying the bills. Is that a life of bondage or is it a life of love? It depends on your perspective. You see, living a life of service to Christ, showing forth the fruit of the Spirit, serving the church of Jesus, living a life of holiness, submitting to his lordship in our life, Forsaking the ways of this world, I ask the question again, is that a life of bondage? Perhaps. Or is it an expression of love? Freedom in Christ is a freedom to express our love to him in so many ways. And if you're motivated by love, there's no bondage. There's freedom. Freedom in Christ is freedom to love and freedom to show that love by your life. It's a love without inhibition. And it's a love without fear of what others may think of me. You see, when you love someone, you're willing to do whatever that person needs. You don't worry about what other people think. When you love Christ, you want to serve him. You don't worry about what other people think. They can complain. They can fuss about your lifestyle. But your love will override all of that. Jesus was motivated by love. Now, we were addressing the question, what is freedom in Christ? Maybe the answers were not what you were expecting to hear. Maybe they were not what you wanted to hear. And in fact, they're not exactly what I expected when I started this. Freedom in submission. Freedom in captivity. Freedom is subjection, commitment, service. Aren't these the things we want to get away from? But the question is not if you will be committed, if you will serve, if you will submit. 
if you will follow a code of conduct. The question is who you will serve, to whom will you be committed, whose code of conduct will you follow. On one hand, you can be bound by the law of sin and death. On the other hand, you can choose to be under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Which is bondage and which is freedom? Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Does that sound like freedom? Does that sound like bondage? It sounds like bondage. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. That is freedom. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Taking the yoke of Jesus may not sound like freedom, but it is an invitation to those who are living in bondage. Freedom in Christ Jesus. Well, I'd like to spend a few moments here addressing the question, what is freedom in Christ not? Or what isn't freedom in Christ? I'd like to turn back to Galatians chapter 5 again. Uh, This chapter talks quite a bit about freedom and bondage. And first of all, I would like to say, what is freedom in Christ not? Number one, it is not seeking to gain salvation by following a set of rules. We cannot earn our salvation by following the list of do's and don'ts. And in Galatians chapter 5, verses 2 through about 7, Paul talks about circumcision and people who are insisting in following the law of the Old Testament in an effort to attain their salvation by doing that. And he says it's pointless. You're not going to earn your salvation by keeping the law. You can't earn your salvation in that way. So freedom in Christ is not seeking salvation by following a set of rules. It's not, well, I hope I am good enough. I hope my good works outweigh my evil works. I hope that I can live my life good enough as the Hindus would say, so that when I come back in the next life, I'm not a rat or some other animal, but I can maintain a higher level. That is a yoke of bondage, living in fear, just hoping you're good enough. Paul calls us to live in liberty. So freedom in Christ, number one, is not seeking to attain God's approval or salvation by following a set of rules. Number two, it is not the liberty to live as I please. Look at verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. You have been called unto freedom. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Don't use your liberty to say, I can do whatever I want to now because I'm free in Christ Jesus. Jesus said... I do always those things which please the Father. And that is what freedom in Christ is about. Freedom to please the Father. Sometimes we hear the expression, we live in a free country. We can do as we please. But those two statements do not go together. Living in a free country does not necessarily mean doing as you please. Because if you live in a country without laws you will find that you do not have much freedom. We live in a free country because there are laws that govern people's behavior. Can you imagine living in a country with no laws? 
There would be no freedoms. There would be chaos. There would be anarchy. It would be mayhem. But the fact that there are laws give us freedom. So freedom in Christ Jesus is not the liberty to live as I please. And sometimes we ask the wrong questions. Consider the questions that you ask. Freedom in Christ or a person living in bondage or a person living in freedom will ask a different set of questions. Someone will ask, well, why can't I do this? What's wrong with this? That's a sign of a person who is living in bondage. But the person who is living in freedom will ask, how can I please my father? What is God's will for me in this matter? What is the best response? What response bring the best glory to God? Those are the responses of someone living in freedom. What is freedom in Christ not? Number one, it is not seeking to God to, to attain salvation by a set of rules. Number two, it is not liberty to live as I please. Number three, it is not ignoring the beliefs of my brothers. Let's look at verses 14 and 15. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. We're talking about freedom. And he says, this is what it's about, loving your neighbor as yourself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. I won't take time to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But I would encourage you, if you want to um, consider this point a little bit farther, not ignoring the beliefs of my brothers, look at that passage. In fact, there's two passages. Romans 14, verses 13 to 21. And 1 Corinthians 8, verses 8 to 13. In the passage in Romans, it talks about judging. Now, often we hear people talking about in where if we're judging someone else, we're not free. We're just judging people. But Romans chapter 14 tells us who we should judge. It says, don't judge your brother, but judge yourself. And judge your response in light of your brother's convictions. Don't judge your brother, but judge your response. You see, freedom in Christ is not ignoring the beliefs of my brother. And this is the example of, in 1 Corinthians 8, of eating meat that was offered to idols. Paul says, that's not going to kill you. That's not going to hurt your relationship with God. But he says, nevertheless, if it offends my brother, I won't eat that meat so long as I live. It's not ignoring your brothers. And the fourth thing, it is not... It is not ignoring the agreements of the church. Nearly every organization has guidelines and principles that are intended to be followed. And if you want to be a part of that organization, if you want to be a part of that group, whatever it is, you are expected to follow those. And some people say, well, I'm free in Christ. I do not need to be subject to these rules made by man. But that is not what freedom in Christ is all about. When you joined this church, you agreed to a certain set of expectations or agreements. And if you choose to ignore them, you're not living in liberty. You're not living in freedom. You're living in bondage to your desires. You're not experiencing the freedom. Now, for myself, there are things that I do simply because I'm a member of this church. And I agreed to do them. And I find freedom in doing them. 
Freedom in Christ is not ignoring the agreements of the church. I think we need to move on. The final question, are you living in bondage or freedom? I'd like you to turn to John chapter 8 for a concluding passage. Jesus was talking about freedom. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He says, if the son shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Jesus was speaking to the Jews and the Jews were not very well receiving what he was saying. John chapter 8, verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I do not quite understand what these Jews were thinking when they responded. They said, We be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. Do you remember what our Sunday school lesson was about this morning? One of the verses in our Sunday school lesson says they sighed by reason of their bondage. The Jews were in bondage to Egypt for many years. You read the book of Judges and the book of Kings. It's a cycle. Being in bondage to other countries. Being delivered. Being in bondage time and time again. And even in this setting, they were subject to the Roman Empire. And these Jews said... We were never in bondage to any man. They were claiming a false sense of freedom by denying the bondage that they were in. By denying that they were in bondage, they were forsaking real freedom. Are you living in freedom or are you living in bondage? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin, bound by sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Are you living in bondage?